0: Hanson, the associate editor for Arkansas Catholic, and this is our fifth episode of Arkansas Catholic Asks, where we ask questions of some of our newsmakers in the church and community about what matters most to you. Today we have Dr. Sherry Simon, a clinical psychologist and member of Christ the King Church in Little Rock. So, welcome. Thank you. It's so good to be here, April. Hey, well, we're really excited to talk with you, and we've got a lot of stuff to unpack today. Um, Dr. Simon really um, resurrected Pox Christi Little Rock, which is a peace and social justice group, part of Pox Christi USA, in the fall of 2016 after really decades. It had been um, active in the 1980s, but really not since then. Uh, We also want to talk about all the great work that that organization does, Uh, also your work with the Diocese of Little Rock, and how your career in psychology and your Catholic faith really lends itself to this kind of work, Um, but also the future of lay leaders in the church. So we have a lot of things to discuss today. Yes. (laughs) But first, I wanted to ask you just a quick icebreaker question. Since it's Lent, we'll go ahead and focus on that. What Lenten practice has had the most profound impact on your spiritual life? April, I think that's a great question, because um,
1: I've been thinking how different this year Lent has been for me, because I've done something a little bit different. In years past, I've always tried to figure out those things that I needed to sacrifice, those uh, things I needed to give up in my life and make space for God through that sacrifice. And so I've done that this year, too, in in the uh, practice and the discipline of fasting, but what I've added uh, to my Litton experience is um, centering prayer. And it's a type of prayer that uh, in Pox Christi we, we've uh, experienced with Sister Deb, Toilette, and uh, Nick Colt. We've, we've done a couple of different workshops with it. And it's a prayer that helps us get beneath our thoughts, beneath all the distractions that, you know that lives in our minds. And to that place where uh, we can feel more present with God, where where I like to think of as God waiting for us beneath our thoughts. And I've been trying to practice that a couple of times a day for about 10 or 20 minutes. It's it's kind of about all I can manage because our thoughts are so distracting. And it's been incredibly helpful. The thing that I think has been uh, the best thing about Centering Prayer is in practicing it, even though I fail at it miserably every time because I'm always going back to my thoughts, just the practice of trying to get back to God, even if it's a 100 times in 10 minutes, I find that then for the rest of the day, I am more easily... Um, centered and less distracted in the day and feel a
0: lot better so. so it's really been more of a like a freeing experience for you than this lent
1: absolutely and it's an addition rather than a, a complete subtraction so it fills up my space
0: that's wonderful well, well hopefully some people listening maybe want to try that this lent or even beyond lent because we don't have to stop our lenten practices when lent ends <laughs> exactly well wanted to talk a little bit about your background um, you've been a clinical psychologist for how long I've been in a clinical practice
1: for the past 33 years. Oh, wow, that's wonderful. Yes. Well, And how long have you been Catholic? So that's a little different. I've been, I was married in mm-hmm. the Catholic Church to George 37 years ago. Uh, I became formally a Catholic about 18 years ago. Oh, I came wow. into the church.
0: Wow. What were you before?
1: Uh, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. <laughs> I was raised... Um, Presbyterian, but my family did not practice uh, a discipline of going to church, and it wasn't a big part of my life, and so um, when I met George and his wonderful Catholic family, I felt like I'd come home. It was a great experience, and uh, once we got married into the church, we began to attend
0: the Catholic church regularly. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, what, what do you like about being Catholic most? I love the
1: Eucharist the most, and and I, I relate this to the Eucharist, in addition to communion, I love the community mm-hmm. of the church. It's so important to me um, to have people that I can share my faith with who know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. When, you know, when we talk about what gets us up every morning, what, what leads us to walk the path that we walk within life, the people that are around me understand that. And they support me, and I can support them in it, and we can
0: walk together on that path. That's so important. That's wonderful. Well, and so how does your career in psychology kind of influence the roles you've taken on in the church?
1: Well, in in some practical ways. I mean, I think it's been the perfect fit. Um, For example, in my role as victim assistant coordinator, I've I've been working... uh, in that role, as well as on the diocesan review board for the past six years, sort of was the perfect fit because I had some early training in um, working with uh, victims of sexual abuse. And that's been very helpful in this position as I'm often, and George, my husband also is a victim assistance coordinator. We are often the first contact for someone who may call the church and want to report the fact that, that they had been abused in the church so understanding what to look for in someone who has um, been abused as well as um, hopefully uh, the uh, ability to help make a safe space it's so important for someone who has had that experience to have a safe place to talk about it mm-hmm. and so hopefully um, I bring that to the situation where people can feel a little bit um more free to talk about what happened to them
0: Mm -hmm. well and obviously you know you in many ways sometimes would be the first call that people make and really talk to um victims so how does what does it mean to you to be able to assist them in that way Uh, that's so interesting I was just
1: talking to someone about that the other day It has actually been a real honor to do that um for many years the first many years of being victim assistance coordinator we didn't get many calls at all it was the rare thing sometimes I even forgot that I had that role but of course since last year when the bishop released the list of uh, priests um, who had um, had credible abuse allegations against them um, we've gotten lots of phone calls and I have been overwhelmed with the honesty, the realness, the authenticity that people come to this and bring their stories and talk about um, the effects that this abuse had on their lives. It's exactly what the bishop hoped would happen that if he put these names out there that people would come forth and be honest, and, and have a space to come to to tell their stories, and that it would be a healing experience for them. And that's what's happened. So to be able to be a part of that, sometimes to be able to be the person, the first person to hear this person's story, uh, I, it has meant a great deal to me. Um, it's been very moving often. Um, to be any part of that sort of healing after, in most of these cases, after 40, 50 years of of these incredible people sitting on this information, it has meant a great deal to me Mm. to be a part of that.
0: Well, and just kind of given your background, and obviously this is um, an issue that dioceses throughout the country are dealing with, what can you say about Bishop Taylor's response?
1: I have been very appreciative of how transparent he's been willing to be uh, and how transparent he's been willing to make our church in this. Uh, I know that's been difficult. It should be difficult. But on the other hand, the folks who have experienced this abuse deserve that kind of transparency and more. Um, There is no explanation for how this could have happened. Our church needs to be able to do whatever it can do to make amends to folks who have been through this trauma. And I believe that Bishop Taylor, in his transparency and his reporting of those who were involved in this abuse, has done everything that he can to to make that happen. I've appreciated
0: his his stance on this. And I'm, I'm assuming that in your role, it does help to have a bishop that is transparent. Oh, absolutely. This, you yeah.
1: know, honestly, I wouldn't do this role yeah. <laughs> if we didn't have a bishop like Bishop Taylor mm-hmm. uh, who was willing to, you know, comb through the records, have people come outside of the church and look at the records mm-hmm. um, and um, put this out to the public, to put this out to the church so that the church knows that there's no more secrecy about this, that it's all in the open. I wouldn't do this job for for
0: anyone who wasn't willing to go to that length. That's wonderful. Well, and I do want to kind of talk a little bit, building on the layperson's role just in the church, even because a lot of people are discussing that right now. But I want to take a minute to talk about Pox Christi Little Rock. Yes. Um, how many members does Pox Christi have right now? So we
1: have 11 members on our board of directors. Um, But in addition to that, we have probably 15 to 20 people who come regularly to our monthly meetings. Now, we've had meetings that have ranged in size from 70 to 80 people because we have a speaker series, and and we have different speakers that interest different people. So I guess our our best-attended one uh, had about probably 80 people. Generally, though, we range uh, anywhere from 20 to 30 people, I would say, each month.
0: And the meetings are on Thursdays, correct?
1: They're on the second Thursday of every month,
0: yes, that's right. And here at St. John Center in Little Rock? That's right, in Fitzgerald Hall. Okay. Well, you all have done so much great work the past three years. You know, some of those... Issues that you've talked about um, in your group have included advocating against the death penalty, forming a support group for LGBTQ Catholics, giving back to local schools in need, mission work in Puerto Rico, um, and of course, as you mentioned, your speaker series that cover a variety of peace and social justice topics. So tell me why, given the state of our society today, this is such an important organization to have locally. I can't say enough
1: about how important I think um, organizations like Pox Christi are in our world today. You know, Rachel, uh, you know, April, that Pox Christi means peace of, peace of Christ. And in my work as a psychologist and just living in the world, what I have found our world uh, doesn't have nearly enough of is that inner peace, that connectivity, that community that I believe that Christ brings to all of us. Uh, What I've experienced out there is a disintegration of the family, a disintegration of community, and a society that sets goals that have to do much more with acquisition of wealth, acquisition of power, acquisition of fame. All of those earthly things that, that we know, at the end of that road, there is no peace. So it sets up a competition, and more than anything, it sets up this sense that people don't know what their worth is already. They don't have a sense that just as they are, just as children of God, they are good enough. So there are always, uh, all of us, I say they, all of us, are always trying to prove that we're okay, that we're, you know, that we're worthy of love, and we end up doing some some uh, pretty destructive things in that search. So back to the question, Pox Christi's goal is, first of all, within each individual, to um, establish a sense of self and connection with God that brings a peace to each individual, that we have a sense of who we are in our community uh, through our communication and prayer life with God, we have a sense of what our path is, what our mission is in the world. And then as we are trying to establish that, reaching out to other people uh, to hopefully through um, social justice, begin to establish little corners of peace People have often said to me, you know, Sherry, this is ridiculous (laughs) that you think that an organization can bring bring peace into the world. It's way too idealistic. And I said, there is no way that I think that Pox Christi, Little Rock, is going to bring uh, world peace. But we can do little things to promote community that bring peace to a little corner of our world, to one little space. And so that's our goal through... uh, following the gospel and through following the social teachings of the church, we try to just bring a sense of um, society, a a sense of community uh, where people have a shot at bringing their gifts to the table, an equal shot that everyone else has. So we certainly promote diversity. We want as many people at the table as possible And we want them all to have a good chance to be who they're meant to be in the world. That's
0: wonderful. Well, And that's something that you really have accomplished in such a short amount of time in many different areas. And, um, you know, I know that so many projects of Pox Christi are close to your heart. But tell me about maybe one or two that have been really spiritually fulfilling for you.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's interesting because we're just about to embark um, on our third mission trip to Puerto Rico this next Monday,
0: oh, April wow. 1st.
1: Okay. Um, and we'll be there for eight days. I'm so looking forward to that uh, because I do believe that we've been able, uh, certainly in our two previous trips, to forge a sense of community there, both with the people of this little town of Miraflores. It's a beautiful little mountain community, uh, but the people there were very, um, Affected by Hurricane Maria, and their homes are still not safe. They often have roofs that leak and mold all throughout their houses, and garbage and stuff that' spread all over the the landscape from this this hurricane and So we are working so hard with our peace partners there, Casa Solidaria, particularly. Uh, in uh, Miraflores to bring back that sense of community, uh, both for that little town of Miraflores, but also we're promoting a sense of community between our Pax Christi team and Casa Solidaria and the people in the community. And it has been beautiful. We've forged beautiful friendships already,
0: and we look forward to going back. Well, and what projects are you going to be working on, particularly this time in Puerto Rico? It's funny you should ask.
1: I just (laughs) found out today um, uh, Casa Solidaria has gotten a grant where um, they have some extra money where they are going to be able to work on 15 homes in that area. And we are also gonna bring some funds that we have raised to put towards that. So specifically, there are five things that they told us we're gonna be doing. We're gonna be working on probably two homes in regards to painting them, sealing the roof, um, probably uh, purchasing some new appliances because some of the appliances were, were ruined. Some of the water tanks that they used there because They store water because the electricity is always still going off, so so that they'll always have it. And a lot of those water tanks got destroyed in the hurricane, so we'll be working on some of those. We're also going to be working on two acres of land to clean up all the trash that's there because they want to turn that into an agricultural field. They're really working to be self-sustaining, so they're doing a lot of planting, and, and uh, they want to grow their own crops and make their own food, so we'll be working on that. We're also going to build another smaller gazebo, uh, a meeting place in the center of town. We, we worked on one last time we were there um, in November, and we're going to be do- building another little smaller one, and we're actually going to be putting solar panels On this one to make it more Mm self-sustaining so we have a a lot on our hands this time we have 10 of us going so they're going to keep us very very busy
0: yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. it sounds like it well and you know for some of our listeners that may not have kept up with the progress in Puerto Rico you know it's it's been a little while since Hurricane Maria but Mm -hmm. so it may shock some listeners to to hear that they are struggling so much still. So, I mean, what's the reality? Because the news, it doesn't necessarily portray that in Puerto Rico, but you've been on the ground. Absolutely, Mm -hmm. and
1: it's really true. If you go to the tourist areas like San Juan, for example, you won't see it so much. If you look closely, you still will, because some of the buildings are still damaged, but they have their electricity back mostly. They have their water going. But if you go to the poorer, more rural communities, particularly the mountains, that's why we picked this community because it's in an area where there hasn't been any aid other than there is some grant money that's coming in, but the damage is still very clear there, I mean, to these homes. I tell you what I appreciate about these people is that with the help of Casa Solidaria, which is a nonprofit group of Puerto Ricans, attorneys that work there that have managed to to get this organization going, with their help, the people of these communities are pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps. Mm -hmm. So they're working shoulder to shoulder with us. But I have to tell you, this is the truth, to go there and see the American flag fly in this little island, knowing that it really is, even though it's a territory and not a state, it is a part of the United States, to see people still going without, like when we were there last time, going without, we didn't have water for two days. Um, Electricity goes off usually a little bit every day. Uh, The grid is, as I'm sure you've heard, the electrical grid is so bad that it's a problem all over the island. These repairs aren't being made. The funds are not being put towards that to make that happen. That would not happen in a Houston, Texas. Exactly. You know, it wouldn't happen here in the continental United States. And my point in Pox Christie is these are people, just like we have people here, they suffer the same, they have the same issues, they have the same problems. I'm not sure why our government isn't reaching out to them as it would to anyone here.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, to me, that's such a powerful statement that you still see the American flag displayed. You yes. know, displayed, that's, you know, even despite not getting the help that they necessarily need. All of us commented on that. It feels terrible, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, to yeah.
1: see that. Like, you can... You know, when we would go to Honduras before as part of the church, you almost could understand it. Well, that's a third world country, so they are struggling. They have governments that that don't fund the poor there that don't help at all. This was the United States, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that there was something terribly wrong about that, yeah.
0: Well, and and God bless Pox Christie Little Rock for going and helping. And and if somebody wanted to donate, how can they donate to Puerto Rico specifically?
1: Right. So you can um, call me. Uh, I have a phone number you can reach me at, 501-258-8653, if you want to donate. And we have a little square, so you can donate um, uh, with credit card information, you can also mail a check to our um, headquarters, uh, which is 415 North McKinley Street, Suite 1040, and that's Little
0: Rock 72205. Wonderful. Well, um, I do want to talk about just any another project, maybe with Pox Christie Little Rock that's close to your heart. Yes,
1: um, we have for the past two years, and this coming uh, school year will be our third year. We have filled backpacks filled with school supplies for different schools. And we keep, because of very generous donors, we keep being able to increase the number of schools that we supply these backpacks to. Last year, we added Catholic schools, for example. We started the first year with Rockefeller Elementary, uh, and we, we um, supplied backpacks for 326 children for Rockefeller Elementary with all the school supplies they needed for the year. So this last year, uh, we were able to add to that Pine Bluff schools generally. We just sent them lots of paper, lots of notebooks, uh, supplies that they could send to whatever schools most needed them. And we added St. Teresa's and St. Edward's.
0: Oh, my goodness. So it's growing. It's growing. And
1: next year, it looks like we're going to add another public school, and we are um, assessing perhaps which Catholic school we could also add that might benefit.
0: That's wonderful. It's very exciting. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, and how much, I mean, because people may not realize how important, you know, you you see about donating to school supplies and everything and Mm -hmm. the cost of it, but how much do these kids really need these school supplies? Let's say if Pox Christie wasn't able to provide that, I mean, Mm -hmm. would they go without them?
1: Well, it would depend. Of course, Mm -hmm. the families usually are the ones that uh, provide these, and some of the families can't afford it. And I'll tell you what actually really happens in in reality is uh, we have beautiful teachers, right? People don't go into teaching unless they have a heart for children. So the reality is if the kids don't bring those supplies to schools, what I've seen is the teachers. Mm -hmm. end up, through their own pocketbooks, um, uh, going and getting these kids some school supplies. Well, that's not right either. These teachers work so hard for very little money already. Mm -hmm. And so we feel like we can sort of relieve the stress of the situation by coming in and just taking that off the table. What we also do mid-year in January is we take either gift cards, and we give gift cards to every class so they can replenish their supplies, or we send more, like, notebook paper and more um, whatever they need, you know, whatever they're running short on Mm -hmm. mid-year. It just relieves the stress, and it's that idea of making a community stronger, you know, better, less stressed, less difficult, so that the kids have a better chance through the day to be more
0: open to learning, Mm
1: -hmm. you know.
0: So. And, that, and I'm sure that that's really what it achieves. So that's a wonderful, so. wonderful project. Um, and I do want to talk, because you are involved in so many different things, so I want to kind of uh, segue to talking about the Clergy Personnel Board. Yes. Uh, you are the first layperson um, appointed to the Clergy Personnel Board. And what that does is it advises on matters relating to priest assignments, retirements, sabbaticals. Mm-hmm you know, where and when to send priests for future degrees and training. Um, There are currently 10 priests that serve on the board, as well as our diocesan chancellor for canonical affairs, who was just added as well. Uh, It's pretty important step, I think, to not, to have not only a lay person, but a lay woman included in this way. So talk about how important it is to include lay women on church boards and leadership positions and, And really what kind of perspectives you would say that you bring to this board specifically?
1: Right. First of all, I want to say I was so gratified to be chosen for this position. I was kind of shocked by it, actually. Um, Again, to go back to our bishop just for a moment... He is, I believe, uh, bringing uh, into reality something that our Pope has said is so important to do, and that is to begin to include more and more lay people and more women in decision-making positions, uh, I would say leadership positions within our church. So I, I believe he's trying to do that. I really believe, too, he was trying to bring a psychological perspective to some of these decisions. So I appreciate that. Um, I think it's so important to include lay people in these positions. You know, lay people and particularly women have always been foundational to the church. Usually they have taken quiet, you know, um, hardworking roles that have kept the church afloat. They've, they've done it all, uh, but they haven't always been in on the, the uh, integral decision-making part. And the reason I think it's so important that we begin to include them is I think that we're going to get um, more depth of decision making, uh, more, uh, more complex uh, solutions to some of the problems in our church. I know, in being a psychologist, um, that in, in working with people in marital therapy. That when you get a healthy man and a healthy woman together to solve problems, it is incredible the solutions that they can come up with. It becomes very creative. You're not just bringing one type of process in on it. You're bringing in two. And when you have two different uh, kinds of thinking going on, uh, it's amazing uh, what can develop. There's a transformative process. process that begins to happen I'll tell you it's really interesting the first time that um, I attended a clergy personnel meeting I'll never forget this at the end of the um, meeting we said the Lord's Prayer together and I was so aware of my one feminine voice (laughs) in the middle of all of those men and what came to me was there was a bit of a harmony there Mm. And I think that men and women working together towards common purpose and good purpose, the harmony can uh, bring about some very beautiful, very creative solutions to problems that maybe would elude either a group of women or a group of men.
0: And uh, I think it's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful goal to try to make that happen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and you kind of touched on this in terms of the role of the layperson really evolving. And mm-hmm. you know, we hear that a lot from lay people, you know, right now. But also, as you mentioned, from Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. So, where do you see the layperson's role heading in terms of the future of the church? I I
1: believe that it's going to grow. I don't I don't think that there is another option. Mm-hmm to that. Lay people are the church. They've always been the church and the clergy are also a part of the church. We are all the hands and the feet of Christ here on this earth. So what I hope will happen and I believe will happen is that there will be a a joining of the two, that clergy and lay people will more and more work side by side. I know that's already going on in many individual churches. I would like it to become, I hope, the norm, where we see that all the time where it's just a given that lay people are working with the clergy, that men are working with women. Uh, and it's not an unusual thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's where many answers lie, mm-hmm. if, if we can make that happen.
0: Well, and you know, Pope Francis has talked a lot about, you know, clericalism and really mm-hmm. spoken out against that. And that's, to me, it sounds like that's really kind of an antidote for that, you know, to not... Um, obviously working with the priests and not having, you know, them be far away on a pedestal somewhere.
1: (laughs) That's it, absolutely, April. I mean, I think that's so important that we begin to realize, I think St. Paul said this the best, we all bring our gifts to the table, we all have different ones. I know some wonderful priests, and we have wonderful priests on all of these boards, and in all of our churches, they're, they're, uh, I, w- I don't, can't say enough about them, and we have wonderful lay people. It's not a choice of either or. It, it shouldn't be a fight over is one better than the other or men better than women. It's about bringing it together and providing transformative options, you know, working together to make uh, solutions
0: that are different from any that we've had before in the way we've structured it in the past. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of building off of that as well, what would you say to other um, lay people, and really lay women too, listening that might want to get more involved in not just a ministry but leadership roles in their parish or community? I mean, what would be your advice since you've you've been very active in these different roles?
1: I, I really appreciate that question because I have certainly talked with many women who are actually very angry that they haven't had a role. Uh, a, a more leadership or authority role in the church, and rather than going and trying to break the door down and be angry about it and and, um, and chastising uh, the male hierarchy, I think um, that Pope Francis had a wonderful way to put this. He uh, referred to the feminine gen- uh, the feminine genius. And that is the um, gifts that women, and certainly men have these gifts too, but women tend to have uh, them in spades. And that is uh, the gift of intuition, the gift of nurturance, the gifts um, that are all about receptivity and being able to listen and have patience, kindness, emotional intelligence. Certainly men have these too. But if women could come to this uh, with these gifts and make the point that I am me and you are you, let's work together. We are not trying to be greater than you. We're not here to chastise you. Let's come together and learn from one another. Let's come together and create new solutions with our different processes. Let's listen to one another. So in regards to practical ways that women can do this, I think that they need to build up their voice within the church, not just through speech, but through action. So if you're called to do something as a woman in the church, do it. And talk to the clergy, talk to other lay people, build a path for yourself within the church And the more women that do that, I think that we will find this um, camaraderie begin to develop between clergy and the lay people, between men and women in leadership positions. Uh,
0: And I absolutely see that happening in the future and just, you know, being such a positive for our church as Mm -hmm. we move forward. Um, but I really want to thank, you know, your time and talking with us today. Um, we always end our Arkansas Catholic Ask podcast with a prayer uh, relating to the topic we've discussed. And Sherry, you've brought a prayer, I believe, kind of centered on peace or tell us.
1: I have, and it's interesting because it doesn't have the word peace in it. Um, but usually the, the prayer that we uh, think of in Pox Christi is St. Francis's Prayer of Peace, But this is a prayer that lately we've been saying a a great deal because um, I believe that uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta uh, was a person of peace through her actions and her work in India and throughout the world. uh, Through her social justice efforts, she brought peace and community to so many different parts of the world. And this is a prayer uh, that she said, and her other Sisters of Charity said, daily after communion. This is a, a prayer, it's called Radiating Christ, and uh, it was written by Cardinal John Newman. It goes like this, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Jesus, help me to spread your fragrance wherever I go. Flood my soul with your spirit and life. Penetrate and possess my whole being so utterly that my life may only be a radiance of yours. Shine through me and be so in me that every soul I come in contact with may feel your presence in my soul. Let them look up and see no longer me, but only Jesus. Stay with me and then I shall begin to shine as you shine. So to shine as to be a light to others. The light, O Jesus, will be all from you. None of it will be mine. It will be you shining on others through me. Let me thus praise you the way you love best, by shining on those around me. Let me preach you without preaching, not by words, but by my example, by the catching force of the sympathetic influence of what I do, the evident fullness of the love my heart bears to you. Amen. Holy Spirit.
0: That was beautiful And thank you so much For, for bringing that particular prayer to share I think that will touch the hearts Of a lot of our listeners And uh, for those listening Who want more information On Pox Christi Little Rock How can they reach out and get involved I would uh, really appreciate it If people would come to our speaker series
1: Every Thursday Every uh, second Thursday of the month Over uh, at St. John's In Fitzgerald Hall We always have an excellent speaker, uh, either someone who's uh, involved uh, with a a community outreach program or someone to teach us something about finding peace in our own hearts. That's at 7 o'clock, the second Thursday of every month. Uh, They can also call me, again, at 501-258-8653. And if they're interested in working uh, with one of our projects, with backpacks, with uh, with Puerto Rico, for example, be happy to uh, set you up with that and and talk with you about ways that you can become involved.
0: Wonderful. Well, everyone listening, please go ahead and, and reach out to Sherry and, and she'll definitely set you up with, with everything you need to know. And I wanted to take a moment too to let our listeners know to... Um, go ahead and subscribe to our Arkansas Catholic Ask podcast uh, so you don't miss a single episode. And also, please take a minute to rate and review us. And we also have several other areas you can um, reach, read more news um, regarding this podcast and other topics covered in the Arkansas Catholic newspaper. You can do that by liking Arkansas Catholic on our Facebook page, following ark catholic on twitter and browsing our website arkansas-catholic.org and while you're at it just make sure to subscribe to our print or digital edition and our e-newsletter aspire And April, if I can add, you just reminded me with that, they can also
1: check out Pox Christi on Facebook. Yes. we have a great presence there, so I would encourage you. You'll be able to see what we're doing and and keep up with our meetings that way.
0: Absolutely. So go ahead and and make sure you keep up with uh, Pox Christi Little Rock and us in in every kind of way. (laughs) That's right. So um, thank you again, Sherry, so much for the time. And um, until next time, thanks for listening to Arkansas Catholic Asks. Thank you, April.